You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. All right, so it's coming down to the end of the year, and we've got to start talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then a new year starts, and I get to have a whole new preaching calendar, but I wanted to talk about something that I'm passionate about, usually passionate about, and that is Jude 23, snatching people from the flames and our duty to make a difference in the world. And I sometimes am really, really passionate about this, and other times I'm really distracted. Sometimes I'm tired and lazy, and sometimes the weeks just fly by, and I'm like, wait, what about my true goal? What about what I'm really about? Why am I so distracted with all these things? I think Satan wants to do everything he can to keep us too busy to accomplish the important things. So I wanted to share with you for a bit, and then I have a like six and a half minute video at the very end, and then the worship team will come and sing. But I think that you'll be encouraged. Maybe you'll be mad at me at the end. Don't really know, but I'm excited about it because I've wanted to find a place to fit this for the entire year. So here goes. Jude, half-brother of Jesus, is talking about uh, the church and upcoming persecution and end times kind of stuff. And I look at the headlines and I look at today and I'm like, man, this so fits. Let's see what Jude writes. That's that little tiny book that's right at the very end, right before Revelation. It's like one page in most Bibles, Jude. Jude 1, 17. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. Verse 20, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you to eternal life. In this way you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. Verse 22, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now to all, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time, and in the present, and beyond all time. Amen. And that is how the book of Jude goes. And that Jude 23, snatching people from the flames, thinking about trying to rescue people, helping them to find eternal life, to get away from false teaching, to live in a way that is helpful. Um, I want to rescue people. I also take steps to try to make the world a better, safer place. So if I see road debris, sometimes I will pull over and take care of it. There was a uh, cement truck that was going down 169. His tire blew out. There was rubber everywhere. He was going to try to pick it up or move it to the side of the road with his cement truck. So I started grabbing the rubber and throwing it in the back of my pickup truck. So I had this huge busted up tire in the back of my truck. And I went to the local co-op and I said, hey, I have a cement truck on the highway, didn't want anybody to get in an accident. I picked up the tire off the road. I've got this, will you take it? And they're like, yeah, for a fee. I'm like, seriously, no good deed goes unpunished. You're going to charge me? And they did. They charged me a recycling fee, but whatever. Um, I found tools on the side of the road that I've stopped. I picked up. I was at the Minnesota Zoo one time 
And there was a turtle. I don't know if he was escaping or just visiting. There's this huge turtle in the entrance to the Minnesota Zoo. And he's walking across the road and all these cars are coming. And I'm like, seriously? So I picked the turtle up and people are honking at me, impatiently angry at me, saving a turtle at the zoo. Seriously, people, come on now. And I put the turtle over on the side and I got over out of people's ways. I pull people out of the ditch. Uh, sometimes uh, people yell at me. I've come to the point now, if I pull somebody out of the ditch, I'm like, okay, here's the deal, is that I will pull you gently. This is the tow rope. You've got to figure out where to put it. I think you might want to put it there, but I'm not putting it on because any damage is caused, I am not responsible because people are crazy. Nonetheless, I feel that we have an opportunity and a duty to try to rescue people. And sometimes God puts people in our path that we have opportunities to do things or say things or prevent harm or whatever, and you just look at the situation and you're like, okay, God motivates you in your heart, and you just, you're just motivated, you just, I got to do something about this. So it's rescue time, I'm going to put, I'm going to risk, I'm going to put my truck on, on the line, I'm going to risk this or that. And other times you're like, you know what, it's not really my deal, I don't feel called to do anything about it, uh, send someone else. So the other day at Culver's, <laughs> we're pulling through the parking lot, I see this car. I don't know what's going on with this car, but it is full of garbage. I mean, from the top, the back seat's just wholly filled with garbage, old, weathered garbage. And I'm like, okay, maybe they're pranking somebody, or maybe this person really is a hoarder. I hope they're not a smoker. But I looked at it, my wife's like, grab a picture. I'm like, all right. And I'm like, not my deal. I'm not doing anything about that. So, but nonetheless, so sometimes you see things, Sometimes you let it go. Other times, you're like all on it. And sometimes that's true in your relationships. Sometimes you see things and you're like, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to let it go. You're going to come into Christmas time and uh, Thanksgiving time, family gatherings. And maybe you're going to see a sibling or a relative or whatever. <laughs> you're going to be like, I want to talk to you about this. Maybe you're just going to say, you know what? I'm not going to even say anything about that. I encourage you, though, keep the main thing the main thing. Share Jesus first, and then that life choice stuff later. But all right, so number one, remember their warnings. Remember their warnings. So we were warned by the apostles, Jude was saying that the church was warned that there would be false teachers that were going to come, that false teachers were going to come in and try to sway people in the church, try to redirect people in the church, that Satan was going to use people to try to divide the church to get people to quit coming to church, to get people to quit following Jesus. And they actually come in the doors of the church. They become part of the church gathering. I'm sure that none of you are they, because we would have chased you out already. No, I wish. Number one, remember their warnings. So you must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires, creating divisions among you, following their natural instincts because they don't have God's Spirit. Do you know any scoffers? Do you know any people that say that your faith in Christ is, is offensive, it's wrong, it's a crutch, you're naive, um, it's a myth, uh, they go on and on and they scoff. Oh, you think Jesus is coming back? Yeah, right. You think that Jesus is real? Yeah, right. You think that when you die you go to heaven? Yeah, right. Scoff. Oh, scoff. And remember their warnings. So, um, number two, reside in God's love. So, remember their warnings. I have a verse set in there somewhere. I don't know where it went about remember their warnings. I'll find it in a minute. But anyway, we'll move on to number two, reside in God's love. 
So if you're going to step out in faith, if you're going to try to help somebody in need, you need to know that you are truly saved, you are truly in Christ, you know whom you have believed, you know what your faith stands on, you are strong in your faith, you're able to lead people out of danger because you know the way. You're able to make a difference because you have a firm footing, a firm foundation, you can reside in God's love. Dear friends, build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the youth group is going through doctrine stuff right now, getting a foundation for their future faith. Hopefully it will allow them to help have a foundation and a a resource to help other people in need, to guide their lives and, and to direct them. But when we're confident that we are in God's love, when we're confident that we're truly saved, when we're confident that the message that we have to share truly works, then we know that we can rescue people, we can help rescue people. So the question is, are you in or are you out? Are you in Christ or aren't you? So there's a dividing line between those who are just religious and not in Jesus and those who are totally not in Jesus at all and those who are truly saved. We all know John 3.16. This is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So those people who are in Christ, this believe, this isn't like Satan believes that Jesus exists. This is a pastuo, uh, uh, like you're drowning and you place your faith in the lifeguard to save you kind of trust, kind of belief. You're placing all of your faith and trust in Jesus. We hold out Jesus Christ in the Bible. You know, it's interesting. uh, If you ever try to rescue anybody that's drowning, you think they would be happy that you showed up to help them because they're drowning? But a lot of times, if they can grab onto you, they will try to climb up you. They will try to get above the surface of the water, even if that means they push you down. So the best thing you can do is not hold out yourself, not hold out your hand and say, here, let me save you, but instead take a towel or a swimming noodle or a life buoy or a stick or a shirt or something and hand that to them so that if they start clinging onto you, you can let go. Because if they are afraid they're going to drown and they're going crazy, they will pull you down. When you're trying to reach out to people and rescue them, don't hold out yourself, your imperfect self. Hold out God's Word. So many times it's like, it's not what I believe, it's what Jesus said. It's what the Bible says. It's, it's what Jesus said here. If we follow this, it's not something that I made up on my own. It's not my philosophy. It's what God says. And over the last 2,000 years, Christians, people who have followed Christ, have based their eternity on it, have placed all of their faith in it, have invested in it, said this is real, this is works, this works, and you need this. So hold out Jesus Christ, hold out God's Word. John 3.36 says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life, but anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. And you're like, what would I share? To somebody that wanted to get saved. Well, you could do the Romans road. Uh, that would be good. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's just verses in Romans. Uh, if you have a How to Find God New Testament, you could hand that to them. If you have a smartphone and you send them the New Life Bible app, which is from the Gideons in Canada, that is just like the New Believers New Testament, uh, except it's digital and it's free and it has all sorts of questions and answers. Great resource. But okay. Romans 3.23 says everyone is sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So the first thing in the Romans road is Romans 3.23 that says we all sin. I sin, you sin, we all sin. We have a problem with sin. Sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 
says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we sin, we earn death, eternal separation from God. But the free gift, not that you have to earn it, not that you have to work for it, but by just receiving it, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But you need to receive it. When did this happen? Romans 5.8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So we didn't earn it. We didn't make it happen. God made it happen. And by believing on what Christ did way back then, we can be saved. God showed his great love for us. God cares for us. God wants to have a relationship with us. Romans 8.6 says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That's actually not part of the official Romans road, but I threw that in there because that is something that's going on in our culture right now. Everybody just wants to do what's right in their own eyes. They don't care anything about what God has to say or morality. They just want to redefine everything. Say, oh yeah, people believed this all these years, but we're just going to change everything now. So, oh, forget the whole gender thing. Do whatever you want. Be whoever, whoever you want. Just as long as you feel good. That's going to have consequences in our society and our grandkids, and our great-grandkids. Um, if they're not aborting the kids, will they even have kids? It's just going to be really messed up. Hopefully, our society will be like a pendulum and people will push back and say, wait a second, this is getting too weird. Uh, this is not right. Uh, I stand for this. I don't care what you think. I stand for uh, God's plan for marriage. I stand for God's plan of making male and female. Uh, all of that stuff. Anyway, uh, I'm going to get off track and not have enough time, but Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. That is something that we all need, to be right with God, peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes it possible. And Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great verse. If you read Romans 7, you see the struggle Paul has with sin and doing the right things and doing the wrong thing. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you're being persecuted, if life is going hard, if things aren't going your way, and you know that nothing can separate you from God's love, that nothing can separate you from God's plan, even though you're going through the hardship and difficulty, that is a verse that's going to get you through. This relationship with Christ is huge. He didn't say that when you receive Christ, your life is going to get easier. He didn't say that everybody's going to love you now. He said that you may be persecuted. Jesus said that just as they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You can expect it. But we live with eternity in mind. And we look at all the difficulties that we have to go through to help rescue people. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes uh, people don't like us or talk against us. But it is so worth it when someone goes from death to life, when they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Romans 10.9 says this is how you do it. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Who's going to tell them? 
Well, radio, internet, uh, all these, YouTube, there's lots of people that can tell stuff, but no one is going to believe the message more than when it comes from you. When you're telling your coworker, your friend, your neighbor, your sister, your brother, your parents about your life in Christ and how to come to Christ, most likely they will listen to what you have to say. Um, and if they don't, just say, hey, can I just express this just one time? Can I just share this with you like one time and then you can make your choice if you want to accept it or reject it? Can, can I just share this with you one time so you know where I'm at? And so many times, that's like a seed to faith. They might reject it, but then maybe they'll hear it from someone else, a coworker or a friend. Then maybe they'll hear it from like a professional athlete they respect, and then maybe they'll hear it. They say it takes like five or six or more presentations of the gospel for people to get saved. And often, if you can't lead that person to Christ, start invite, inviting them or uh, inv- start uh, showing them other Christians. Start inviting them to uh, Christian events. Um, introducing, that's the word I'm looking for. Start introducing them to other Christ followers. And they might say, well, I didn't believe it when it came from you because I know you and you're weird. But I really like this person. They've got it all together and they're a Christ follower too. Sweet, I'm in. Question is, are you in or are you out? If you are in, that's awesome. You have a responsibility to share that with others. If we're friends and we spend any amount of time together, we should know where we're at spiritually. I don't understand how you can be a coworker in a cubicle next to somebody where you talk with people. Um, or if you have a neighbor that actually talks to you, not the ones that just go in and out of their garages and do their own thing. But how can you have a relationship with somebody or a friendship and not tell them about Jesus Christ? I mean, you wouldn't be a very good friend, actually, if you knew the thing that could change their life for all eternity and then you kept that to yourself. Number three, rescue them. You must show mercy to those who faith, whose faith is wavering Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. So, so we've got like three different classifications here. So you've got people who are like falling away from their faith. They're confused. They don't really know what to think. They need you to come alongside and help them. You need to show them mercy. You need to show them kindness. You need to give them good teaching. You need to help them to grow. You need to show them care. Other people are getting sucked away by false teaching. Uh, sucked away by things that actually pull them away from Jesus, sucked away from the things that Christ would really have for them, and you need to pull them away, snatch them away, snatch them from the flames of judgment. If they keep going down this path, separated from God, they will spend eternity in hell. So show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution. These are the people that have like, crossed over, that are like living in the false teaching, and you need to be real careful because they might... You don't want them to contaminate you. You don't want them to contaminate what you think or to make you compromise or make you fall into their same sin. You don't want to be pulled down by them. If they are drowning, you don't want them to push you under and make you drown too. But rescue them, showing them mercy, snatching them, caring for them, being cautious for yourself. Expect false teachers. Here's my verse that I was looking for in the beginning. So the Bible and the New Testament... Talks about expecting false teachers. Acts 20, 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Acts 20, 29 and 30. First Timothy 4, 1. The Spirit clearly declares that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. First Timothy 4, 1. First Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 2 Timothy 4.3 You can expect false teachers. They are out there. Be careful. Don't let them influence you. And false teaching matters. So this might be the part that you might find offensive, but this is some false teaching that I have heard recently that bothers me, okay? All roads lead to God. Doesn't matter what religion you are, because it's still heading to God. So you're a Christian or a Muslim or whatever, Hindu, whatever, it's all God, and it's all good. Just go for it. Be the best you can be at whatever you are, because it's all God. No, it's not. Mormons come to the door, and they say, hey, as God once was, man can become, you can be a God too. It's like I can't even keep my desk clean. I don't want to manage my own world. And actually, wasn't Satan thrown out of heaven because he wanted to become God? Not sure that's a good idea. There's a false teaching that can lead you down the dark path. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not all God. It's like what the Bible says they are. Just because the word Trinity isn't in the text doesn't mean that the Trinity isn't a thing. Jesus and Satan are brothers, or Jesus was the first creation. No, that's not true either. Uh, When it comes to things that you see... (laughs) It's okay to look as long as you don't touch. Jesus said that if you look at a person lustfully, that's committing adultery in your heart. So you don't want to go down that road. That's not an okay thing. Pray to Mary, Mother of God. Now, Roman Catholics tell me that this is not a thing, that um, they're actually praying, asking the saints in Mary to pray for them, but they're not praying to Mary. But some people get confused in that, and they do pray to Mary, and that's not in the Bible. We pray to Jesus. Mary does not have more compassion than Jesus No chapter and verse there. Praying to saints too. Anyway, confess to the priest and he can forgive your sin. Well, that's not in the Bible either. We're supposed to confess to Jesus. And so, but you can confess to a priest or a pastor if you're struggling with sin, but Jesus is the one that actually forgives sin, uh, not somebody who can tell you your sins are forgiven. They don't hold that authority. And again, that's a confusion sometimes in different branches of Roman Catholicism. But it's a thing that I hear from people, and I think it's false teaching. God's grace covers all sin, so it doesn't matter how you live. Do whatever you want, because Jesus covered it all. So hey, you know, if it feels good, do it. Just have a good time. God doesn't care. He just wants you to be happy. He's like his big grandpa. I love you, love you, love you. God can never forgive that sin, because that was such a terrible sin. The only unforgivable sin is if you get through this life without receiving Jesus Christ. That's the unpardonable sin. There is no penalty or punishment after death. Hell is not real. That is another false teaching. And the the scripture passage talks about flames of judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire, Matthew 3.12. Matthew 13, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is Jesus and Matthew. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet be thrown into eternal fire. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20, 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then just after that, it says anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire too. So they are thrown into the lake of fire with the devil and the beast and the false prophet. Uh, 
And then Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So again and again, the Bible talks about flames of judgment, and then Jude says we're supposed to rescue people from the flames of judgment. So when we think about that, we think about the eternal consequences of people who are deceived, and we need to do all that we can to reach out to them. Now we need to rely on Jesus to get us through. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It's by grace we've been saved through faith, not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we are saved by grace, but we do works, actually, to show our true faith. So it's not that we do works to get into heaven. It's not that we do works for God, but God does works through us. We don't boast. We glory in Him. And again, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, Romans 1, 16. In Ezekiel 33, you'll read a passage that talks about the watchman on the wall. And so the watchman on the wall was supposed to warn if the enemy was coming. So if the watchman on the wall saw the enemy coming and he did not sound the alarm to alert the people and the people were killed, the blood was on his head, on his hands. He was held responsible because he didn't warn the people. However, it also says in Ezekiel 33 that if the watchman sees the enemy coming, he warns the people they do nothing about it, the blood is on their head. So there's this responsibility to speak up and to rescue people, a responsibility. When you look at that passage, think about, is God calling you to do something? Is God wanting you to be the watchman on the wall, to sound the alarm, to tell people about Jesus? Is God calling you? And if they don't listen, then at least you can say, well, hey, I tried to tell you, but you didn't listen. Wouldn't it be terrible to be on the other side of eternity and hear, well, you know, he was just waiting for him to tell you or she was just waiting for her to tell you. So rely on Jesus to get you through. James ends it with the now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and to bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. This benediction at the end again brings it right back to hope. It says there's bad teachers, there's bad stuff. We hope in Jesus we glorify Jesus, we are in Jesus, so I'm going to show the video clip and then the worship team is going to come up, but um, I hope that we'll be motivated to look around and when the Holy Spirit leads us to, that we'll want to share our faith, that we'll get better at it, that we will use tools so that we can help lost people get saved and that we'll help save people grow in their faith and that people grown in their faith would see their opportunity to uh, lead ministries and small groups and do things. So here we go. Today I want to share with you a story from an amazing follower of Jesus Christ uh, way back in the mid-1800s. I'm going to withhold the name of who wrote this story uh, until the end, but listen carefully as we explore who cares. On one of my recent journeys, I had a vision. I saw a dark and stormy ocean. Over it, the black clouds hung heavily. Through them, every now and then, vivid lightning flashed and loud thunder rolled and waves rose and foamed, towered and broke. In that ocean, I saw myriads of struggling human beings plunging, floating, shouting, shrieking, struggling and drowning. And as they cursed and screamed, they rose briefly and then some sank to rise no more. And I saw out of this dark, angry ocean a mighty rock 
that rose up with its summit towering high above the black clouds that overhung the stormy sea. And all around the base of this rock, I saw a vast platform. And onto that platform, I saw with delight a number of the poor, struggling, drowning wretches continually climbing out of that angry ocean. On looking more closely, I found a few of those who had been rescued industriously, working and scheming by, by ladders, ropes, boats, and other means even more effective to deliver the poor strugglers out of that sea. Here and there were some who actually jumped into the water, regardless of all the consequences in their passion to rescue the perishing. And I hardly know which gladdened me most, the sight of the poor drowning people climbing onto the rock and reaching the place of safety, or the devotion and self-sacrifice of those whose whole beings were wrapped up in the effort for their deliverance. As I looked on at the occupants of that platform, what puzzled me was the fact that though all of them had been rescued at one time or another from that very ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. And what seemed equally strange and perplexing to me was that these people did not seem to have any care, any care about the poor, perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their very eyes. But the thing that seemed most astonishing was that those on the platform whom the great Savior called, who heard his voice and felt they ought to obey it, at least they said they did, those who confessed to love him and worship him or professed to do so, were taken up with their professions, their money-saving pleasures, their families and circles, their religions and their arguments about it, and their preparation for going one day to the mainland, that they didn't even listen to the cry that came to them from the great Savior who himself had gone down into the sea. Anyway, if they heard it, they did not heed it. They did not care. These people would meet and get up as high on the rocks as they could, and looking toward the mainland where they thought the great Savior was, they would cry out, come to us, come help us. And all the while, he was among the poor, struggling, drowning creatures in the angry deep with his arms around them, trying to drag them out and looking up to those on the rocks, crying out to them with his voice all hoarse from calling, come to me, come and help me. My friends in Christ, you are rescued from the waters. You are standing on the rock. Jesus is in the dark sea calling on you to come to him and help him. Do you care? Will you go? With the light that is now broken on your mind and the call 
that is now sounding in your ears and the beckoning hands that are now before your eyes. You have no alternative. Now, what will you do? This powerful story was written in the mid 1800s by General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He had just become disgusted with the laissez-faire attitude of those who would sit in church week after week, listening to sermon after sermon, singing song after song, and doing nothing about the struggling lost souls that were wandering the streets of London. He became so disgusted with that that he broke away from the church and established the Salvation Army, which still exists to this day across the world. And I believe that General Booth's passion echoes the very passion of Jesus himself. In Luke 19:10, Jesus actually summarizes his life mission by saying, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find resources to help you grow in your faith, give online to support this ministry, and share your prayer requests with us at riverrockchurch.com. May God bless you. Share Jesus with others this week.